Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of the Leadership Window podcast. I'm Patrick Jinx, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. Excited, as always, about our guest. Man, we've had some great people on this show. I'm loving it. I'm learning so much. Uh, We're talking with Adrian McNeil today, an old friend and colleague and extraordinary leader. Uh, Adrian leads strategic initiatives and collaborations between Lehigh University and its many community partners in the community of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and its surrounding areas. I met her in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, when we were both at United Way there, but she is now the Assistant Vice President for Community and Regional Affairs at Lehigh University in Bethlehem. And uh, previously, she was Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for United Way in Lancaster County. And in addition to her work with uh, United Way, she's also worked at as, as an advisor for the University of Phoenix. She was Executive Director for the York County Community Against Racism and an adjunct faculty member at Duquesne University and in community outreach and multicultural affairs at York College. So you've seen a little bit of theme here of a mixture between community leadership and academia and the role of colleges and universities in a community. Adrian uh, has her bachelor's in public administration from York College and her master's in human resource development from Villanova and uh, is currently uh, still still on her path for that uh, that next set of letters, the PhD in higher education. Surprise, surprise. And I know that's getting close. And, and I just, you know, in full disclosure, uh, Adrian and I did work together at the United Way. And I'm just, I'm super proud of, of her uh, watching her journey in leadership. Uh, the role she plays now is a big deal uh, in her community. And of course it was a big deal at United Way too, but um, I love talking with her because she gives me perspective on things that, uh, that I don't have. And I, I remember uh, Adrian, when we were in uh, Lancaster, I, I don't know if I've actually told you this, I should have, if I haven't, but you were someone who um, was willing to check me. You were someone who was willing to say, well, actually, uh, and I, and I appreciated that because every leader needs that. You've got to have that person who is willing to check you and, um, and keep you in line and let you see things from the perspective you might not be seeing things. But anyway, I'm super proud to watch your journey and I'm incredibly honored to have you on the leadership window. So welcome and hello again. (laughs) Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm excited as well to have this discussion today. Well, like many of uh, the people that have been on this show, we have these conversations anyway. So why not record it and let an audience listen in and see what they might get out of it? And, um, you know, I'm getting some good feedback from people about, hey, here's, you know, your your guest made me think about X or Y and and maybe you could talk about this next. So it's it's really been helpful to just um, let people listen in on these conversations. It certainly has been a learning experience for me. Um, I just want to jump into having you give our audience a little bit more about you, um, particularly This is a podcast about leadership. The lens is the social sector, but leadership is leadership. And um, I I think that your journey of leadership has been accelerated. Like you you got on a real sort of fast path of um, some high-level roles in leadership. Talk to us about how you got into this arena of leadership and particularly what's led you to your current role and um, responsibilities at Lehigh. Sure. Um, So I would say um, it first started when I was at York College, Uh, even going back to my um, undergraduate days. um, My institution wasn't very diverse at all. And many times I was the only one in the room and and stood out um, for many. And, And I would say, and I have said this publicly, I was given opportunities 
um, because of being a person of color at an institution um, where I was underrepresented. And so I was able to work for the institution after I graduated. Uh, when I did finish my master's, I was kind of this new department was developed, which is what you mentioned, the Community Outreach and Multicultural Affairs. I didn't necessarily know anything about running a department or or, or anything, but I was certainly put in that um, leadership role. Uh, but moving forward, what I would what I would would say is my first I would say experience and really having confidence in my leadership ability. Um, really took place when I was at the United Way. And I I just remember when, you know, you came on board, I was a volunteer coordinator. Um, I just want, I, I, I just wanted to get out of the job I had before. It was just, it was a horrible experience. And I was willing to take anything <laughs> to get out of that job. And so the volunteer coordinator position came up. And then through transition, you know, you promoted me to work in the um, community impact area. So doing more of the programmatic work and the the um, the grant making type side, the mission work of of, of United Way. Um, but also during that time, there was another leadership transition in terms of who I reported to, and and I I kicked myself because I I felt like I could have done that job. And I, I can do that job. And I remember coming to you and saying I was going to pursue um, an executive director role, you know, for maybe a smaller United Way. And you told me to hang in there. And I was then you um, recommended me from the Global Fellows Program. So this whole new world was opened up to me about you know, it's not just our United Way, but it, it was the networking and, and what we were doing to really impact the world. And at that time, really feeling like I was a part of something that was really bigger than myself, even bigger than our community, but we were doing some amazing work. And and when the transition happened, um, I stepped up and, and luckily you took a chance on me um, and you know, you built up my leadership capacity and to a point where I was able to get a, a position like I have now at Lehigh University. But, and, you know, as I've said before, I certainly wouldn't have that role had it not been for my experience and, at the United Way. And my current boss will tell you now that it is because of my background at United Way is why I got the job um, at Lehigh. Well, you're really hitting on a really key leadership principle. Michael Bryant um, with uh, Peak Harvest Coaching was on a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that the role of a leader is to grow other leaders. Yeah. And it, to me, that's kind of a third level. Um, I, I always describe the first level as a high individual performer. So I'm Absolutely. good at what I do. I, you give me a role in an organization and I can perform it as an individual and, and knock your socks off. The sec, you, you move from there, and this is a transition a lot of new CEOs struggle with or new leaders. You move from high individual performer to high impact leader because now it's not about I'm the one performing and getting, you know, like doing the work. Now it's about getting others to do the work and making them successful. And then there's that third level of, I'm not just developing other high individual performers, I'm developing more leaders Absolutely. and leadership is growing and growing. And what I, what I found in you was, I mean, it wasn't long at all after I got on board there as the CEO that, uh, you know, I turned to our, you know, our executive assistant and said, why is this Adrian woman, parked down the hall as a volunteer center coordinator. I mean, it's a great role, but uh, like way underutilized. Like she's, I don't think, I think there's a big like eight cylinder engine in there that we is just idling. Let's put this thing in gear. And she agreed. And, uh, and it didn't take long. All we had to do is just kind of put it in gear and just step on the pedal a little bit. And, and you took off because those competencies were already there. So one of the things a leader has to do is be able to recognize those competencies and yes, um, push you 
push you out into a place where you might not yet feel like you're ready. Right. But leaders tend to have a sense of, um, of, of their people sometimes even more than they have of themselves. And, uh, and people ask me all the time, what's it take to be a good coach? The answer, good coachees. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. uh, that's, that's, that's it. So you made it, you gave me a win there, Adrian, uh, honestly, well, thank you, you. Uh, you gave me a win as a CEO because it was an easy, it was an easy lift. And so now you're in this role of uh, community and public affairs at Lehigh university. And for a lot of people, they would hear that term and it kind of glosses over. Absolutely. You think about a university as a place you go to get a degree. What's this community and public affairs stuff? What's the university got? Wh- what are you doing in that arena? So tell me what that even means for, for I think I get it, but maybe not. Uh, what is community and public affairs at a university like Lehigh? So I, a funny story, um, when I was interviewing for the position, I can tell you that the people I was interviewing couldn't even tell me. <laughs> what the role was. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I said, well, if no one will tell me what the job is, <laughs> why would I want the job? And so finally, it, it wasn't until I actually got into the role where it took, it took, I'd say about a year for me to really understand truly what my role was, but essentially, um, Lehigh University, many years back, you know, again, similar to United Way, um, developed some community strategies with the input from the community. And really, um, especially since Bethlehem Steel left and closed the area, we're now the um, largest employer and um, the economic driver in specifically in South Bethlehem. And so we weren't always good partners. Um, If you were to ever come to campus, you will see loading docks and garages facing the community um, and and the residential area because the campus was built as a barrier Mm. between um, that beautiful mountain that we sit on and the rest of South Bethlehem. And so uh, there there was just this recognition that we it's time to step up it's time to do our part and so with the help of um university of pennsylvania um ira harkovay um we adopted what's called the anchor institution model and you'll hear this about eds and meds Uh, many times your educational institutions can't physically pick up and leave and neither can um, some of your hospital um, networks Lehigh has been in existence for 155 years. So, you know, clearly we're not going anywhere, although COVID is testing that, I I could say that. Um, But again, it was time for us to get involved. Um, 10,000 students or 10,000 people, you know, interact with that campus every day and in the community. And so we adopted four um, pillars, four strategies. And you'll, again, you'll you'll see this similar to Penn um, since they really helped guide our work. Uh, The first one is um, our educational partnerships. So we are uh, the leader of three community schools. So all of our schools that feed into our South Bethlehem Middle School, we have Lehigh University employees actually working in the building. And so they are identifying what after-school programs these students need, their food needs. We're providing... Uh, mental health services for free to the families and to the students. In partnership with the hospitals, we have mental, uh, dental and medical vans uh, coming into the building. So you've got all of these different types of services. Now during COVID, we're doing food um, distributions um, for families. So they, they still get a meal um, even during this time. But uh, we started that in in 2010, and so that work can that work continues. Um, the other one is our clean and safe, which is probably one of the first priorities that we adopted. Um, South Bethlehem hasn't always been a safe community. Um, way back in the um, 80s and, and 90s, it certainly was not um, as safe as it is today. Um, there was a lot of trash and garbage. And so it led to this mindset that our, our students just don't 
leave the campus. So we have these um, beautiful frat houses and, and all of that. And, and so the students just tend to stay there on the weekends versus really interacting with the South Bethlehem community, supporting the businesses. And so we adopted a program called the, um, through a company called Block by Block. They're based out of Louisville. And there are many Block by Block programs throughout the country. Um, but we have seven individuals whose job is to cl literally clean the streets. So 7.30 in the morning, they start cleaning, emptying garbage cans. And around 7.30, they then um, start with bike patrols and just walking around to make sure students get to where they need to be or anyone that kind of looks lost. Like we said, we do these huge admissions visits and you can tell they're visitors because they have their little Barnes and Noble bags <laughs> and like, where do we eat? And so you just tap them on the shoulder. Hey, you know, where are you interested in? And, um, you know, kind of get them connected. So that program has been in existence now for six years. Uh, we just renewed um, that relationship again for another three. Um, economic development is certainly a, a big important um, point um, for the university. So again, just thinking about ways to get this, the students off of the mountain. So it first started with um, what we called Gold Plus. So every student and faculty member can add money to your ID card. And so then you're, you're swiping your card in a business um, that, that includes CVS, Rite Aid, our local giant, um, our kind of small restaurants and businesses in South Bethlehem. So that students are using their, not using their own personal money, but typically it's their parents that are loading money on the cards. So that's been very successful. Uh, we also have, we also fund uh, kind of like a Main Street program. If you look up um, what a, a what a Main Street Main Street is, um, even through the professional um, the professional downtown center, we're trying to revitalize um, those areas where, you know, where where your shopping hubs, you know, where people went, but now they're you know going to malls, and now we have these um, kind of um, little plazas, if you will. Um, that have, you know, developed over time. So we have a manager who is just doing events and activities. So this is the last push before Thanksgiving. So she's doing some, um, you know, shop local type programs. Um, we, again, pre-COVID, we would have done, we had our uh, chili festival, um, which is the largest in the Valley. Um, all the first Fridays and those different um, events and activities. Um, we also, uh, in an attempt to get our freshmen integrated, because, you know, the studies say if you can get your students um, off campus and in the community in the first six weeks, they're more likely to have a relationship um, with the, the business. And so we do a program called Faux Friday because our students actually come in on the fourth Friday in August, not the first Friday of August or even the first Friday of September. So we call the program Faux Friday. Every student, every freshman has to eat in a South Bethlehem restaurant. And it's a fixed price menu that my office um, splits in, in the conjunction with food services. But it for that four hour period, you have of 1,500 students that are eating and dining in our South Bethlehem um, restaurants, doing tours. We do like, we have what's called a greenway, which used to be a railroad that's been turned into a park and it's all green space. And so we're doing a DJ dance party. We're showing movies, you name it, we're doing it. So just a lot of, uh, in, in terms of that, just trying to get the students to interact. And then the fourth one is neighborhood revitalization. Again, we have close to 2000 students that live off campus and it's changing, but the general rule of thumb is that we only house our freshmen and sophomores. And, um, but we are building more housing to change that. But still, our, we have about 2000 students in the neighborhood and we um, invested in two code enforcement officers to make sure that the um, homes and that the students were living in off campus were actually inspected 
and had a clear um, certificate of occupancy um, for safety. So those are um, the four pillars that we're operating under. And again, in terms of um, what, and that's just the, the tangible part. There's the other parts of my job that I have no clue <laughs> what I'm going to have to deal with on a on a day to day basis. Um, an example of that was uh, Path to Prominence, where the president announced our expansion plan. So growing the campus population, new residence halls, all of this and all of that. And that was my first maybe eight months on the job and having to put together this community engagement strategy um, because the last time Lehigh announced an, a, a, an expansion, we bulldozed um, two blocks of houses and displaced about 50 people. And the, there are people who are still alive who remember that. And so now there was this massive, what are you doing? What's going on? Are you gonna bulldoze our communities again? And so having to develop a strategy and, and series of meetings and public forums and, and all of that to really clarify what's happening. Um, it, it's, it's this constant balance of um, people who mean well, who make decisions and forget about the public input and having to remind folks all the time, like, wait, did you think about this? community side of it and the last meeting I attended this is not what the community wants so let's come up with something different so I'd, I'd say um, pre-COVID it was a lot of that type of work as well certainly dealing with the mayor's office government and honestly representing the university in, in any setting that um, someone wants Lehigh's presence mm. so that's my job <laughs> <laughs> Okay. First of all, what an amazing transformation going from the university really doesn't have an articulation of what this means to what we all just heard. Because, you know, if the question was, what does community and public affairs at a university look like? boy, did you just paint the picture and gave us case after case and example after example of some very specific things. And on a personal note, Adrian, you might remember this, that when, when we were at United Way together, you and I talked about the importance of a blanket story. Right. Yes. And, and it was one of the things out of your global uh, fellowship work mm -hmm. and coaching that you were getting about having that vision casting and the ability to link stories to your vision Man, did you just do that? Well, thank I, I you. I mean, that, that was inc that I just learned a ton from that. I, mean, I knew the four strategic tenants because I looked them up. But um, you gave uh, the examples you gave of that's what it looks like. That's the tangible stuff. And so I really appreciate that. Here's my question for you is when you're, by the way, one of the tenants was education. You're specifically talking about public education. Yes, specifically public education. So, so the um, between economic development, the environment, and public education, and probably the neighborhood piece as well, we're talking about all sectors on deck. We're talking about co cooperating, coordinating with government, Absolutely. with business, with the faith community, with grass from you know what they say, grass tops to grass, grass roots, roots or whatever. Yep. Um, so let's talk leadership. How, I don't even, I don't, I'm not even sure if I want to ask too specific a question here. I might just want to have you talk about it, but I'm thinking about obviously your role as, uh, a, an, an assistant vice president or associate vice president for community and public affairs. You're a leader. You have a leadership role to play probably both with, you know, in, some internal leadership uh, responsibilities as well as that community leadership, but the university is leading. And so how does an entity lead? Uh, we you know we've talked a lot on this program about how an, an individual leads, but how does an, how does an institution lead? There's gotta be a, some sort of a culture 
an expectation across the board of who's bringing leadership to the table, but to have to work with multiple sectors, uh, just talk a little bit about the leadership dynamics that occur there in being an, an entity as a leader and when to step out and go first and when to just be at the table and be a support. Just maybe share a little bit about that perspective. Sure. So I would say the first part of um, being an entity is understanding what the parameters are of that entity. So initially, when I first got there, you can imagine being new, being green, and here's the newbie from Lehigh. Well, I need thousands of dollars for this. I need you to to, I need Lehigh to do that. I need Lehigh to sponsor this and, and, you know, just kind of being pulled in many directions. And so having that honest conversation with my leadership, so the president and um, my direct supervisor, where, what are the parameters? Where do I step in? Where do I don't? If it, what's okay and, and what isn't? And sure. so for me, as long as I understood had that clear direction, then I understood how I, on behalf of the university, could address mm. certain concerns. That, that's a speed issue, isn't it? Because now you don't have to go back and ask permission and run everything through a committee when you want to either initiate something or respond to community requests for leadership. Having that expectation. And I would imagine a high level of trust has to come with that, but that's, that's what speeds leadership. That's. Absolutely. And I think honestly, a lot of it came from, you know, the work that we did at United way. Um, You know, we would get, I mean, as you know, we would get requests all the time for funding, Mm -hmm. but not, it it wasn't a, a way of keeping people out, but here's the process. Here's the documents that you need. Does your program meet, you know, this particular goal or or strategic priority? And so part of that was, it probably took, uh, I'd say about a year because my budget was all over the place. And I wasn't sure where we were, um, what, you know, those four priorities certainly were committed to, and that's a large portion of the budget. But I also have these discretionary funds that um, I can use to sponsor things. And and so it was it was really being clear we are we support South Bethlehem that we're in South Bethlehem we're supporting South Bethlehem and we were constantly asked to go into Allentown or to go over to the north side well first of all we have another institution on the north side Moravian we'd be offending them and we'd be offending all the other universities um, there's about what eight in in this geogra- and in like 15 miles of each other. And so who are we to step in and say, well, we're the boss, so we're going to do this. And, and so, you know, really clarifying kind of where our place was. Um, so that, again, that that's a part of it. Now, um, and so now that I have a clear understanding of where the institution stands, so now when I'm sitting in all of these different committee meetings, And so if I'm in a community school meeting, I can talk about what we can do to help support and some of the additional things that maybe the university or that we can do. Um, You know, right now, um, food insecurity is critical. Um, It's we're at a crisis right here in South Bethlehem. And it's like, come on, social media team. You know, we need to put out this post in, in the next hour, mobilizing, as many community people and as many Lehigh folks as we can, even if you're just you're sitting at home, you can send an Amazon wish list to the food pantry and 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 do those sort of things. And then next thing you know, the brown and white, which is our newspaper, you know, picks up on the story. And and so for the past, let's say, you know, six months, we've been doing nothing but, you know, doing food drives and raising um, food. Um, at other times, it's just it's sitting back and being quiet. Because Lehigh doesn't even matter in some of those spaces. We don't care what you think. You know, we're going to do that. And I can think of a specific example. Um, 
for it's we had a planning commission meeting and so there's been a zoning um ordinance that's been proposed because because of co again unfortunately because of covid and going virtual some students decided to come back to campus anyway even though they couldn't access the campus they just wanted to be in the neighborhood and so you saw numbers of um, students off campus really increase to a point where it, it really upset some of the, the the neighbors and so now there's this push to um, limit students in terms of where they can live so within maybe three four five blocks of the campus you can have five students in the house outside of a certain district you can only have two and so during that conversation my role was just to be quiet <laughs> and let and say we support you um you know publicly but i can tell you it internally and privately we were having conversations with those individuals um kind of guiding this work saying well here's what we don't like <laughs> and here's some of the things that you need to change but never once would I ever say any of that in public, even during public comment, um, during zoning, quiet, nothing. Our, some of our internal partners were outraged. They're discriminating against our students. Um, a student is a protected class. My, my, and my response was that's for the attorneys to argue, but this is not <laughs> something that we're gonna come out against. And so, it is that balance um, and it happens on a day-to-day -day basis. But again, at more times than not, when I'm in the room, you will know that I am quiet unless something is said out of context about the university or, or something that I need to address. But majority of the time I am listening to what the feedback is and I am bringing that back to leadership. So they get a sense of what is the status of Lehigh University in the community at any given point. Um, you're back to that trust level between you and your leaders about having you out in the community ready and prepared to speak on behalf of the entity, on behalf of Lehigh. How do you establish that trust and empowerment with a, with a group of leaders internally to where everybody knows we don't have to worry about it. We know this is going to be the best representation and, and that we're all going to be on a page. What are the tenets of leadership that bring that, make that possible? Well, um, I would say I really, I, I guess the, this is how I would answer the question. I don't, I could say I wasn't really prepared for that. Honestly, when I first got to Lehigh it was March 1st and two weeks later, I'm put out in front of angry, angry citizens because of, and again, prior to my time, but Lehigh recognized that, I mean, the, 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 nothing had been developed in South Bethlehem for about 20, 25 years. And there's a vacant piece of land. There was a burnt building um, on the property, it didn't look great. Um, so it was bulldozed. And so you, it, you just have this space that nothing's happening. Um, the, the university wanted to put more core services directly in South Bethlehem. So you think about your human resources, human resources office, you know, everyone has to go to HR at some point. And so now you would have to interact in the community. And so we were proposing to support the building of this six story office building. And then next to it would be a parking garage. And, and I just, and I remember, and my boss says, I, you know, we're gonna need you to start coming to these, these city council meetings and, and speaking on behalf of the university. And I, and I said, okay, so, you know, develop some talking points and, you know, hi everyone, I'm so happy to be here. And then shame on you. 
and I can't believe you, you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> it was, it was amazing how I was personally attacked for um, just supporting uh, the university's position. Like, like, that's my job. And so, like I said, it was, like I said, I just wasn't ready for that. But as, as I gained more confidence in the process um, and got everything passed through that was necessary, it, you know, it just became a thing I got used to. And I, and I think we're kind of prepared for that at the United Way. You know, you never know what agencies are going to come after you and, and, you know, thinking you're, you've done something horrible and you haven't, it's, it's, you know, so like I said, I, I I can say that I just wasn't ready for it, but I can go in front of any audience now, and and I I'm I'm fine with it. I was definitely, I'd say, it took about maybe three years for me to understand like this is just part of the role. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting, and <laughs> I'm comically just thinking, you're you weren't prepared for it, but your leaders were, but they they couldn't count down the seconds. You know, ah, oh, she's finally here. Send Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not what they were thinking, but, uh, but the, you've hit on like uh, that relationship then between, again, the individual and the entity, you have probably had to pretty quickly go, okay, this isn't personal, Adrian. They're not attacking yes. you. They don't even yes. know you. Um, they're attacking the institution and their brand experience with the institution, but I am a representative of that now. So, so as an individual, um, you put on that empathy and that listening and, uh, mm -hmm. but you also know that what's coming at you is not coming at you personally. That's a tough thing for a leader, but that's a, you just illustrated a great example of, uh, y y that's a tough position that you're, right. that you're put in. Uh, but what I would, so once I, 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 so that was experience I lived through for about maybe four months and and again, that wasn't even our project. We were releasing two floors mm. out of out of that space. But what I've learned from that is when we launched Path to Prominence as the university and going back to, you know, are you bulldozing our houses again and all of that, I made a promise to myself that I would never live through that garage experience ever again. And so, again, from United Way, um, there was an engagement strategy put together by a group out of Philadelphia, um, and I still had a copy of that. And so I adapted that strategy and put together kind of, it was like this, ended up being this 20-page plan of every community leader I would speak to, every um, agency, entity, you name it. So again, doing it in, in private. So scheduling meetings. So I, I think January and February, all I did was meet people and say, you know, here's what we're talking about. We're building this new residence hall. Um, and then I honest and, and then um, ironically, the most people that were in opposition to the garage project were affiliated with the university, believe it or not. Um, they're tenured, so they can do what they want. And I got them on board to work with me to do a public meeting. And so I, so these, so I, you know, I did all the background work, but I made sure to put that faculty group up front to lead the public meeting. And so again, it was minimal you know, we hate this, you know, but here's an opportunity to learn more. And then for every, so that was the first, that was Southside Commons. We did, um, we turned a, an old ice house into apartments, did another engagement strategy for that. Um, we changed our transportation system. We were building some additional residence halls. Um, we're building a new health science technology building. Um, a new business school. So every project we announced, I went through that same strategy so that once we got to planning commission and we all, and always sitting down with the mayor, here's the 10 year plan mayor. What do you think about it? 
Um, we did the meetings at the president's house, breakfast meetings with our legislators. And so as long as everyone had the info, our goal was always to have the information. Everyone would have the information before it ever showed up in a newspaper. Um, so they felt like they were in the know. And so that's been a practice um, that we've continued to put into place. And with the exception of one individual who does nothing but blog about parking, he's the only person that comes in opposition. And it's not even about the building. It's what are you doing with the parking spaces? <laughs> it's, and so it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But it's been quiet. Um, let me, let me ask another question. Let me shift, shift gears. Sure. Uh, actually, actually quite a bit here. Um, your, when you arrived there, I mean, you've given a lot of insight as to being new and, and really creating a role and creating a, an activity for the, for the institution and how you've kind of grown into that and just created it and adapted. Um, we are uh, one of the things in addition to COVID that 2020 has opened up and, and created conversations around are uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity. And I got to tell you, uh, virtually every client I'm working with has DEI or REI or some version of that on their strategic radar. And, you know, we've like, let's not, let's not, um, let's not neglect the work we need to do in this, Absolutely. in this as well. Um, but we're in an age where that's, that's really a thing. And here you go into a community like Bethlehem as not only the new person, but, uh, a female and not only a female, but a black female in a role where you're expected to go out into the community and be that leader and be that representative of an entire university and, um, you know, help lead and bring people along and inspire people and, and include people and be included. And you and I have talked a little bit offline about this uh, particular thing and, and your challenges. I think what I'd love to hear, maybe what our listeners would love to hear from you is what have you learned about that? about your, about yourself and, and how to, um, how to mitigate that, how to overcome that, how to, you know, what have been your strategies sure. for making sure that you're taken seriously and you know, you're because that often doesn't happen. And we know that we've all seen it. We've, we've all got the stories. I know you have stories. What would be some things that you would share with our listeners from your perspective about, um, working through that to a better place? Sure. Um, I would say my onboarding at the university was quite interesting. And, and as I mentioned, I'm, I'm meeting with several stakeholders and, and, and individuals externally and even internally. I can't believe Lehigh hired a Black woman to represent them. And I heard that probably for the first six, seven months of and my to, time and to be clear not not in a in a positive tone or in a negative tone you, it depended on who it was mm -hmm. like because there's a there's like a oh my gosh i can't believe they hire or there's wow i can't believe lehigh <laughs> like which, which version of that was it it was i would say the it, for some it was positive for others it was the, certainly the connotation that i got the job because i was black mm. Um, and, but the reality is it was based on Lehigh's history. It had nothing really to do with me. It was, you know, Lehigh was all male until the seventies. Um, and that's like late <laughs> when you think about it. Um, and it's only been, no, I think it's only been 50 years since we've actually admitted women. I think we're celebrating that this year, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, so there, there was this kind of, and, and, you know, there's been some incidents on campus as well um, that were quite noted for, um, if you wiki um, us. And so it was, it um, kind of, it was just a surprise for some, to be honest with you. Um, but again, for some of the external people, and I can, I don't want to um, call anyone out, but again, someone who's very critical of the university 
made it very clear that um, I would not be accepted um, at Lehigh. And so it, you know, so eventually, I, I mean, just kind of working through those things, many of those folks aren't even at the university any longer um, because they themselves just kind of didn't ultimately um, moved on. Um, and then other times it just kind of limit my exposure to that um, because I, it's not something that I need to do my job. Um, when I first, when I guess when the George Floyd and, and those um, conversations first started um, to take place, I remember my supervisor um, reminding me of why I got the job. And, and for him, it was, I didn't realize that people were saying these things to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not why you, you got the job. You got the job because of your background and your experience at United Way. And if you ever want to feel comfortable tell, you know, talking more about it, I'm happy to listen. But you need to know you're here because we want you here and you're highly qualified and et cetera. Which, again, I knew, but it, it, but it did bring up those feelings again. Um, when those conversations first started to take place. Mm. But, um, but what I can say is, I would say through the actions of the university, I knew that I was wanted. Um, I started interviewing November, December, and um, got a call in January, you're the one. We just need you to hold off a little longer. Um, got the offer in February. We're, we'll send a moving truck. <laughs> we'll. I had a signing bonus. I have a, a very competitive salary. Um, and all of that says we want you here. Yeah, so the university is practicing what a lot of people are preaching. And right. saying, uh, I mean, at least in this case, I don't, I don't know much about the culture at Lehigh, but I mean, here, here's an example of, of how it's done. Let me, let me shift that to another conversation. I know that before, um, before you and I got on the line here to do this podcast, you were hosting a conversation mm-hmm. on race in your community on behalf of Lehigh. So you're out there leading and facilitating these conversations about race. That's happening a lot, a lot of conversations about race. And I have two questions for you. And, and I always love asking people who are out in the trenches doing exactly what you're doing. And particularly from your perspective as a black female. And that is this, um, what, what is, what is the, um, what is the objective? How would you sum up the objective or objectives of having the conversations. So is it just, you know, how much of it is about, let's put this on your radar and how much of it is about practical, um, uh, you know, conversations about how to do things differently and what needs to be done and what we can do. So that's my first question is just sort of the, the content. How are you setting up the objectives of these conversations? My, my next question, I'm sorry to ask you two or three at a time here, but they're all related. Sure. The next question is how do you inspire people to want to be a part of those conversations? There's so much division. There's so much. Um, it's like when you say race conversation, eh, talk to the hand. I've had enough. Right. I've had enough, enough race conversation. Like it's all we talk about anymore. How do you get those people to the table to talk? So that's the second question. And then the third is what, what needs to happen from your point of view practically after the conversations or in addition to the conversations, because I know you're right in the middle of leading this stuff. Sure. So I I would break it down into um, two parts. So to, to, to really kind of address what's kind of happening, at least in in my world. So we've started the, these community conversation about uh, community conversations about race um, because, and and keep in mind, it's a group of different people across the campus um, we have a great um, facilitator who's just great in, um, you know, she was navigating students between the, or conversations between the police and students um, when, when things were kind of um, rocky there. So she's just really good at this sort of thing. Um, but 
it's more how do we how do we if Lehigh is committed to being an anti-racist institution, and if you look on our um, DEI page, you'll you'll see that Lehigh is committed to being an anti-racist institution. But just like you're saying, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And the university, at, it in terms of the DEI and and the 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 department or the, the entire campus is, is still trying to figure that out. And so we've kind of done this, um, oh, what is crowdsource uh-huh. of ideas. Uh-huh. And so we kind of put a call out to both faculty, staff, and students. If you have ideas of programs and things and measures that we need to take part in, um, put that on the table. Um, we had some very difficult conversations with students of color and our trustees about their experiences on campus. Uh, We have our own independent police department. How are the police treating um, students of color and um, interactions with people of color as they come on our campus since it is, well, pre-COVID was open to the public. Um, So we're looking at it in very different different areas. Um, But in terms of the conversations that I'm leading, it's, it's more, Here's um, an opportunity for education. So what's this? Let's talk about the stigma of mental health in in people of color, and and do a lot of group discussion. So we actually do a large group for about five minutes, five to eight minutes, and then we do smaller conversations so that do a breakout room so that people feel comfortable talking in a smaller space. But again, through what we we have guidelines that we call visions, and through that allows people the opportunity to be vulnerable. And, you know, everything we say is in strict confidence. I mean, these are the guidelines that we review every single time. Do not attack people. Um, you know, make sure if you heard something incorrectly or wait a minute, I think that's what I heard, but can you clarify? Or the other rule is if someone says something that offends you, you just say, ouch. And then, that, you know, why did you say ouch? And, you know, this is what it sounded like to me. I'm not sure. But again, the whole point of it is allowing people a safe space um, to have those conversations. To be be real. To be real. Exactly. Exactly. One of the challenges I've had with that, Adrian, is um, the, there, there's a, hmm, there's a balancing act that we have to do in terms of the language we use Mm -hmm. and because there are words and phrases and uh, that, that, you know, have these uh, potentially toxic connotations. Mm -hmm. Many of them are things that we have, you know, people have no idea that they're toxic. Um, Someone, someone we were, um, we were at uh, BRI a couple of years ago and a speaker was talking about microaggressions and which, you know, we, we've heard that and we know what that is. And I, I challenged it by saying, I think a lot of what we call microaggression is actually micro ignorance. You know, it's not, it's not with the intent of aggression. It's more of, I just, I'm ignorant on this. I, w- I would have no clue, for example, that some particular word you just used the word vulnerable a minute ago. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a no, no. In a lot of con- these conversations, don't say the word vulnerable. Don't say the word empower because that speaks superiority over somebody or don't say the word. And so you get to, th- we get to this place. And I think this is where the conversations sputter a lot is we get to this place where, all right, let's have honest, real open conversation, but you can't say this, 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 and this. And so we start second guessing ourselves about the words we can use and sure. the things. I mean, I saw a, a, a website recently that had all, I don't remember where it was, but it had all these old um, idioms, cliches, sayings and things, uh, you know, that, that the origin of them. Mm-hmm have these connotations we, we didn't, who knew right you just grow up you oh, hear absolutely. these phrases you know what they basically mean but you don't know where it originated so how do you overcome that whole component of it this idea that boy it, it, right now things are so sensitive that um some people are afraid to enter the conversations for fear of getting it wrong right and and I'm the first to say I get things wrong <laughs> as well. And so 
when I'm when I'm in having those conversations, because keep in mind, Lehigh is a lot more progressive than even I am as as an individual. Mm. And even in some of the institutions that I've worked for prior. And so I can say at times it's hard for me to enter certain conversations because it is it is something I've just never heard of or have never experienced. And honestly, I don't understand. And so when I'm joining those conversations um, to learn more, I'm the first one to say, I may be saying this incorrectly. I may be saying this wrong. I apologize, but you know, this is, this is my question. This is my statement. And, and, you know, I, I just kind of go from there. And at some point you just have to give, extend grace and just allow people to make mistakes and not jump on them all the time. There's, you can't grow if, if that's going to happen. Like it just, that is you know. so good. Uh, the leading by example to say, Hey, I, I might get this wrong. Uh, right. Or I might've gotten that wrong. What an example, even as the, even as a facilitator of these conversations, we have to be able to say, look, I don't have it all. I don't, I'm not like, exactly. The, but that's, I think that's what happens a lot in the conversations is that unfortunately some of those conversations include people who do think and believe fully that they have it all right. And right. they're there, their purpose is to set you straight. And that makes it difficult for people to have the conversations because they're always going to get preached at. So I think some of the cases is, yes, we have to be willing to allow mistakes. Deeper than that, we have to be open to the fact that maybe that's not a mistake. Maybe I'm the one thinking about it wrong. Right. Like, right. you know, we look at others and go, that's wrong. You know, versus saying, yeah. uh, did, did what I say just now, maybe that wasn't the, maybe, um, maybe that wasn't a good, maybe that wasn't a good thing to say. And where does that come from? Like, where right. does that come from in my heart and in my mind that I should check myself? And, and if we do more checking of ourselves, we don't have to have other people checking us all the time, I guess. I don't know. Um, I listen, I respect your, uh, your participation and your leadership in that. And it sounds like Lehigh is taking leadership in that which is just awesome. It's just another example of um, the challenges and the difficulties of leadership. You've had to overcome many of that as a black female leader. Um, and um, I, I gotta say, you've made it look easy and I know it's not. No, no, know, not know, at all. I mean, I know it's not, but you have, you've made it, you know, you're someone that's, that's getting it done and you are out there just, um, uh, you know, earning, earning that respect with just ex exemplary leadership. Who, this is a question, Adrian, as we start to wrap this, um, ah, boy, I could go, I could go so much longer with you. Um, we'll, we'll do it another time again, but sure. Uh, a question that I ask all my guests is I'm always curious as to who the influencers are in your life that have led you to the leadership philosophy and practices that you embrace today. You know, who are the, who are the leaders maybe in your early life career, whatever, who have helped shape your view of leadership? And why? I, yeah, I would say um, first going back to when I was in student affairs and and my boss at the time, Joe Merkel, who's since um, retired, but, um, you know, just the confidence to let this 23-year-old <laughs> individual lead a department and 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 could have some honest conversations about some things that I was seeing at the university. Um, I was just I was young and would just spoke my mind regardless of <laughs> who it offended or what it offended. And even at one point told him, I don't think you understand. You're as sensitive to the needs of people of color as you think. And he kind of closed the door. He said, cancel the rest of my appointments. <laughs> and <laughs> And so, um, you know, we had, we just were honest, able to have those honest conversations. I think one of the things I really learned from him is the importance. Um, he says he, he never left the day without returning all of his phone calls. Mm. And that was, that's probably one thing that I still do to this day, even though I don't get many phone calls anymore. Um, that's one of the, the pieces that I, I, I got from that. 
Um, certainly you. Um, you were definitely a really big um, piece of my leadership journey um, with, you know, you put me in uncomfortable situations. Um, Jill Michael, um, mm. Tish, you know, were great people to talk to. Um, and I think about some of the things that Jill says to this day about um, some of this kind of leadership stuff that I was going through. It, it kind of didn't apply at the time, but she's saying, think about it like your savings account. And you'll you'll be able to write a check in the future. And so when I was given the example about that engagement plan, like that was the savings account that I could write the check for because I had the engagement plan from United Way um, to think about. So um, Jill, and again, Jill Michael, for our listeners, Jill Michael, when, oh, when yeah. Adrian and I were in Lancaster, Jill was the CEO of United Way in Philadelphia. And she was one of the system leaders across the network for United Way. And if I recall, she was your like officially assigned mentor, mentor when you were in the fellows program. And then Tish McCutcheon, who's also a mentor to me, is another United Way colleague. That's one of the beauties about a network like United Way is there are these um, these uh, wise, seasoned leaders who who are not only have the experience and the wisdom to share great things with us, but they're friends and they'll yep. tell you things that no one else would tell you. <laughs> like, you know, they'll, they're not afraid to go, you yeah, know, you're thinking about that wrong <laughs> or you probably got that wrong. Um, and Tish, Tish McCutcheon and Jill Michael are both those, those kinds of people. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, oh, I, no. I wanted to give our uh, listeners the benefit of knowing a little bit about who those people are. Cause that that's it. There's a power in having those mentors. Absolutely. And they were great. Um, and I think my, my current supervisor is a great leader. I mean, he doesn't even live in Bethlehem. He, he's in Boston. He moved to Boston once COVID hit, which is where he um, had his house anyway. He, he hasn't had, a, had an apartment here, but he doesn't, he's, he's not around <laughs> to check and see what's going on. But yet we've got that, you know, 15, 20 minute call once a week here's what's happening, here's what's going on. And, and we're able to talk, you know, freely about, you know, what, what's, what's, what's happening. I, I remember, um, and, and I think I, we talked about this earlier, this, this feel of when you're working, at an env working in an environment, are you working in a daycare where someone's checking on you constantly and, and, and the clock watcher and the calendar watcher and, and, and all of that, to someone who said, I, and honestly, I, with my community role at the time, I was out of the office for days at a time. I mean, I was just meeting and meeting and meeting. And, and so the campus where I originally started, because now I have an office downtown, but originally I was kind of in the suburban area of the campus. And so it's eight miles between campuses. So I'd, I'd literally be gone for days and he'd be like, oh, okay. So what doesn't matter, and it was that was just a sigh of relief because I was getting stressed out. Of, oh my goodness, I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't been at my desk, and and to him it didn't matter, and and even still now we're, you know, we're shutting down the office until August of 2021. You know, he he has to trust us to do our jobs because he's seven hours away, so. All of that, I think all of those qualities were really important uh, to me and kind of were my best work experiences um, with some really good leaders. Mm. Well, we're all blessed in our lives to have those leaders that have made us the leaders we are, um, good, good, bad, or otherwise. Some of the people that have impacted my leadership philosophy throughout life were the bad leaders. You know, the ones I didn't want to be like, the ones yeah. that, that were like, okay, so that's how you don't do leadership. Um, and those are, quite honestly, I'm thankful for those people. I mean, really, because they, they do sort of like, oh, am I doing that? You know, am right. I, you know, so... Uh, I appreciate that. And Adrian, I can't tell you what an honor it is to, to be in that list of people that you just went through. Um, it, it's been my honor to know you and work with you. And uh, again, I'm super proud of the work. I'm impressed with the work that you're doing now. It's, um, oh, golly, so much. And I think it's a true example of leadership because you're, you're having to create it. I mean, you're, you're creating this. You were asked to come in and create this 
this effort, basically. Um, not that they weren't doing anything at all, but you know, you, you, from what I understand in your description, this was kind of a, let's, let's do this different. And, right. um, yeah, I, that's I, true. I that just, is true. I just think that's really cool. Last question for you. The, the Adrian McNeil, number one, uh, tenet of leadership that you think every leader ought to keep in mind. Check your ego at the door. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. What did you say? <laughs> ouch. Is that what you're supposed to say? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can, I've seen it personally. Um, watching someone who thought he knew everything and ultimately end up with nothing because he was too good to to acknowledge that he wasn't number one and and we we also saw it um at united way i mean your ego there's no place for ego in leadership yeah, there's uh, there's no there's no place for ego. Maybe uh, there is a place for confidence. I, and, I agree with that. And I agree with a, confidence. And, and maybe even ego, but defined differently than than the context you're talking about it in. But it is one of those balancing acts. Um, people expect the leader to be uh, somewhat, you know, assert, have a point of view, be clear sure. about it, be confident, um, be direct without being arrogant and without being self-centered and yes without, arrogance the word arrogant you're right that's so, the word so the humility mixed with the confidence right yes. it's a it's a paradox but we have to find that balance absolutely well i would agree i think you strike it perfectly i really do um thank you adrian for the time well, and you. for just pouring it out to us i know there's so much more we could get and, and we'll do it again Sure, no problem. And and uh, for those also, I didn't mention this in the introduction, but Adrian is also on the Jinx Perspective Advisory Board. So she's helping us here in our business with just thought process and, and uh, vetting product and strategy and just kind of helping support the work that we're doing as we seek to help our nonprofit clients achieve clarity, simplicity, and alignment in their work. So Adrian, thank you for that too. Thank you. And uh, for everyone else, uh, next week, a little different episode. I'm going to fly solo and talk a little bit about the new year and what all that means. Until then, lead on. 